Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of one of history's greatest preachers and hearing their greatest sermons? Picture yourself on an old wooden pew in Charles Spurgeon's London church. Great faith must have great trials. Or perched in a tree in the fields of a George Whitfield revival. Take care of your life, and the Lord will take care of your death. Or striding down the sawdust trail at a Billy Sunday prayer meeting. Christianity means a lot more than church membership. Whatever the scene, hearing these great sermons from the past will be as fitting to today's Christians as the day they were first preached. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Hey, welcome back to History's Greatest Sermon. Kelly, good to see you again. And you, Tim. Glad you're a back listener. Yeah, a back listener. (laughs) And it's also... um, I don't know when people are listening to this, but it's getting fall. The weather's changing. A lot of things are changing. And what's funny is I'm getting busier. I kind of wish things weren't as busy. But anyway, that's, that's where like, we're at right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the sermon is this is called History's Greatest Sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly are we trying to accomplish with a program like this? Mm. What do you think? I would say the ability to hear from people who were at the height of preaching God and his word, Mm -hmm. teaching to those who may not have read God's word, might be somewhat familiar. And we are bringing those thoughts forward to see what we might be able to mine Mm -hmm. because there is so much good in them. And that might run counterpoint to any sermon you've ever heard now. And that's always a worthy thing. Yeah. There was, uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, um, and I've done this before where I quote someone, but I don't attribute the quote, so I apologize right away. Um, <laughs> and for all time. If it's new, yes, it isn't true. Mm. And if it's true, it's nothing new. Mm. And that I've heard that over and again in some of these sermons we've had the chance to listen to. Uh, portrayed, I know they're portrayed by actors, but we get the message across that these topics they're bringing up, even over 100 or 200 years ago, are so relevant today because they're supposed to be founded in the word, the word of God, which is eternal, which always proves itself to be true. Much like as we approach the word of God, it might be a passage. Let's pretend Ephesians just for for grins. There will always be something new for you there because you have changed. God's spirit has not changed, but he has more to teach you because you might be more open in a new way to what he has in his word. Yeah. Well, this so this episode is going to be introducing... Andrew Murray. Okay. Andrew Murray was, well, of course, I was going to do research on Andrew Murray. And there's like a thousand people named Andrew Murray. There's a a Sir Andrew Murray of the 13th century. There's a present day professional tennis player. There's some political commentator. Anyway, ignore those people. None of them. Andrew Murray is a minister and preacher and author from the early 20th century. He was born in 1828. And his parents were from Scotland, but they were Dutch Reformed Church missionaries in South Africa, Mm. which will explain his accent. And you'll hear that in a little bit. Uh, He and his brother had formal education in Scotland. They had theological education in Holland, and then they returned to South Africa in 1848. He was 20 years old. My goodness. Yeah. He's going to be talking about the fruit of the spirit is love. And just a heads up for those listening, this is a two-parter. The first part, it'll be 
today. The next part, you're going to have to catch the next episode. Okay. Uh, you can also find it on our app. Don't yes. forget to download the History's Greatest Sermon app through unshackled.org. Anyway, that's my plug. Okay. That What we're going to hear from now is Andrew Murray and his sermon, The Fruit of the Spirit is Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I want to look at the fact of a life filled with the Holy Spirit more from the practical side. I want to show how this life will reveal itself in our daily walk and conduct. Under the Old Testament, you know the Holy Spirit often came upon men as a divine spirit of revelation to reveal the mysteries of God or for power to do the work of God. But he did not dwell in them then. Now, many just want the Old Testament gift of power for work. But they know very little of the New Testament gift of the indwelling spirit, animating and renewing the whole life. When God gives the Holy Spirit, his great object is the formation of a holy character. It is a gift of a holy mind and spiritual disposition. And what we need above everything else is to say... I must have the Holy Spirit sanctifying my whole inner life if I am really to live for God's glory. You might say that when Christ promised the Spirit to the disciples, he did so that they might have power to be witnesses. True, but then they received the Holy Spirit in such heavenly power and reality that he took possession of their whole being at once and so fitted them as holy men for doing the work with power as they had to do it. Christ spoke of power to the disciples, but it was the Spirit filling their whole being that worked the power. I wish now to dwell upon the passage found in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We read that love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans 13.10. And my desire is to speak on love as a fruit of the Spirit with a twofold object. One is that this word may be a searchlight in our hearts and give us a test by which to try all our thoughts about the Holy Spirit and all our experience of the holy life. Let us try ourselves by this word. Has this been our daily habit, to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as the spirit of love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Has it been our experience that the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more loving we become? In claiming the Holy Spirit, we should make this the first object of our expectation. The Holy Spirit comes as a spirit of love. Oh, if this were true in the Church of Christ, how different her state would be. May God help us to get hold of this simple heavenly truth that the fruit of the Spirit is love which appears in the life. Just as the Holy Spirit gets real possession of the life, the heart will be filled with real, divine, universal love. One of the great causes why God cannot bless his church is the lack of love. When the body is divided, there cannot be strength. In the time of their great religious wars, when Holland stood out so nobly against Spain, one of their mottos was, unity gives strength. 
It is only when God's people stand as one body, one before God in the fellowship of love, one toward another in deep affection, one before the world in a love that the world can see, it is only then that they will have power to secure the blessing which they ask of God. Remember that if a vessel that ought to be one whole is cracked into many pieces, it cannot be filled. You can take one part of the vessel and dip out a little water into that, but if you want the vessel full, the vessel must be whole. That is literally true of Christ's church. And if there is one thing we must pray for still, it is this. Lord, melt us together into one by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, who at Pentecost made them all of one heart and one soul, do his blessed work among us. Praise God we can love each other in a divine love, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. Give yourselves up to love, and the Holy Spirit will come. Receive the Spirit, and he will teach you to love more. God is love. Now, why is it that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Because God is love. 1 John 4.8 What does that mean? It is the very nature and being of God to delight in communicating himself. God has no selfishness. God keeps nothing to himself. God's nature is to be always giving. You see it in the sun and the moon, and the stars, in every flower, in every bird in the air, in every fish in the sea. God communicates life to his creatures. And the angels around his throne, the seraphim and the cherubim, who are flames of fire, where does their glory come from? It comes from God, because he is love, and he imparts to them part of his brightness and his blessedness. And we, his redeemed children, God delights to pour his love into us. Why? Because, as I said, God keeps nothing for himself. From eternity, God had his only begotten son. And the Father gave him all things, and nothing that God had was kept back. God is love. One of the old church fathers said that we cannot better understand the Trinity than as a revelation of divine love, the Father, the loving one, the fountain of love, the Son, the beloved one, the reservoir of love in whom the love was poured out, and the Spirit, the living love that united both and then overflowed into this world. The Spirit of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit of the Son is love. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us and to other men, will he be less of a spirit of love than he is in God? It cannot be. He cannot change his nature. The Spirit of God is love, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mankind needs love. Why is that so? That was the one great need of mankind. That was the thing which Christ's redemption came to accomplish, to restore love to this world. When man sinned, why was it that he sinned? Selfishness triumphed. He sought self instead of God. And just look, Adam at once begins to accuse the woman of having led him astray. 
Love to God had gone. Love to man was lost. Look again of the first two children of Adam. The one becomes a murderer of his brother. Does that not teach us that sin had robbed the world of love? Oh, what a proof the history of the world has been of love having been lost. There may have been beautiful examples of love even among the heathen, but only as a little remnant of what was lost. One of the worst things sin did for man was to make him selfish, for selfishness cannot love. The Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven as the Son of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, John 3.16. God's Son came to show what love is, and he lived a life of love here on earth in fellowship with his disciples, in compassion over the poor and miserable, in love even to his enemies. And he died the death of love. And when he went back to heaven, whom did he send down? The spirit of love to come and banish selfishness and envy and pride and bring the love of God into the hearts of men. The fruit of the spirit is love. And what was the preparation for the promise of the Holy Spirit? You know that promise as found in the 14th chapter of John's gospel. But remember what proceeds in the 13th chapter. Before Christ promised the Holy Spirit, he gave a new commandment, and about that new commandment, he said wonderful things. One thing was, even as I have loved you, so love ye one another. To them, his dying love was to be the only law of their conduct and fellowship with each other. What a message to those fishermen, to those men full of pride and selfishness. Learn to love each other, said Christ, as I have loved you. And by the grace of God, they did it. When Pentecost came, they were of one heart and one soul. Christ did it for them. And now he calls us to live and to walk in love. He demands that though a man hate you, still you love him. True love cannot be conquered by anything in heaven or on earth. The more hatred there is, the more love triumphs through it all and shows its true nature. This is the love that Christ commanded his disciples to exercise. What more did he say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John 13.35 You all know what it is to wear a badge. And Christ said to his disciples in effect, I give you a badge, and that badge is love. That is to be your mark. It is the only thing in heaven or on earth by which men can know me. Do we not begin to fear that love has fled from the earth? That if we were to ask the world, have you seen us wear the badge of love? The world would say, no. What we have heard of the Church of Christ is that there is not a place where there is no quarreling and separation. Let us ask God with one heart that we may wear the badge of Jesus' love. God is able to give it. Love conquers selfishness. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Why? Because nothing but love can expel and conquer our selfishness. 
Self is the great curse, whether in its relation to God or to our fellow men in general, or to fellow Christians, thinking of ourselves and seeking our own. Self is our greatest curse. But praise God, Christ came to redeem us from self. We sometimes talk about deliverance from the self-life and thank God for every word that can be said about it to help us. But I'm afraid some people think that deliverance from the self-life means that now they are no longer going to have any trouble serving God. They forget that deliverance from self-life means to be a vessel overflowing with love to everybody all the day. And there you have the reason why so many people pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. They get something, but oh so little, because they prayed for power for work and power for blessing, but they have not prayed for power for full deliverance from self. That means not only the righteous self in fellowship with God, but the unloving self in fellowship with men. And there is deliverance. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I bring you the glorious promise of Christ that he is able to fill our hearts with love. A great many of us try hard at times to love. We try to force ourselves to love. And I do not say that is wrong. It is better than nothing. But the end of it is always very sad. I fail continually, many must confess. And what is the reason? The reason is simply this. They have never learned to believe and accept the truth that the Holy Spirit can pour God's love into their heart. That blessed text has often been limited. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Romans 5.5 5. It has often been understood in this sense. It means the love of God to me. Oh, what a limitation! That is only the beginning. The love of God is always the love of God in its entirety, in its fullness as an indwelling power. It is a love of God to me that leaps back to him in love and overflows to my fellow men in love, God's love to me and my love to God and my love to my fellow men. The three are one. You cannot separate them. Do believe that the love of God can be shed abroad in your heart and mind so that we can love all the day. Ah, you say, how little I have understood that. Why is a lamb always gentle? Because that is its nature. Does it cost the lamb any trouble to be gentle? No. Why not? It is so beautiful and gentle. Has a lamb to study to be gentle? No. Why does that come so easy? It is its nature. And a wolf. Why does it cost a wolf no trouble to be cruel and to put its fangs into the poor lamb or sheep? Because that is its nature. It does not have to summon up its courage. The wolf nature is there. And how can I learn to love? I cannot learn to love until the Spirit of God fills my heart with God's love and I begin to long for God's love in a very different sense from which I have sought it so selfishly as a comfort, a joy, a happiness and a pleasure to myself. I will not learn it 
until I realize that God is love and to claim and receive it as an indwelling power for self-sacrifice. I will not love until I begin to see that my glory, my blessedness, is to be like God and like Christ in giving up everything in myself for my fellow men. May God teach us this. Oh, the divine blessedness of the love with which the Holy Spirit can fill our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is God's gift. Once again I ask, why must this be so? And my answer is, without this we cannot live the daily life of love. How often when we speak about the consecrated life, we have to speak about temper. And people sometimes say, you make too much of temper. I do not think we can make too much of it. Think for a moment of a clock and of what its hands mean. The hands tell me what is within the clock. And if I see that the hands stand still or that the hands point wrong or that the clock is slow or fast, I say that something inside the clock is not working properly. And temper is just like the revelation that the clock gives of what is within. Temper is a proof whether the love of Christ is filling the heart or not. How many there are who find it easier in church or in prayer meeting or in work for the Lord, diligent, earnest work to be holy and happy than in the daily life with wife and children? How many find it easier to be holy and happy outside the home than in it? Where is the love of God? In Christ. God has prepared for us a wonderful redemption in Christ and he longs to make something supernatural of us. Have we learned to long for it, ask for it and expect it in its fullness? Then there is the tongue. Sometimes we speak of the tongue when we talk of the better life and the restful life, but just think what liberty many Christians give to their tongues. They say, I have a right to think what I like. When they speak about each other, when they speak about their neighbors, when they speak about other Christians, how often are there sharp remarks? God, keep me from saying anything that would be unloving. God, shut my mouth if I am not to speak in tender love. But what I am saying is a fact. How often sharp criticism, sharp judgment, hasty opinion, unloving words, secret contempt of each other, secret condemnation of each other are found among Christians who are banded together in work. Oh, just as a mother's love covers her children and delights in them and has the tenderest compassion with their foibles or failures, so there ought to be in the heart of every believer a motherly love toward every brother and sister in Christ. Have you aimed at that? Have you sought it? Have you ever pleaded for it? Jesus Christ said, As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John 13:34 And he did not put that among the other commandments but he said in effect that is a new commandment the one commandment love one another as i have loved you That was Andrew Murray 
portrayed by Kurt Nabig. Now, early on in the sermon, he asks, Has it been our experience that the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more loving we become? Mm. And I love that question. Mm -hmm. Of course, it it struck me, Mm -hmm. you know, because it tied in with his whole theme of uh, usually when we ask for the Holy Spirit, it's about um, maybe the power to do something, Mm -hmm. to accomplish something, even something noble or righteous. Uh, as a church, we're trying to grow. We're trying to sp- to spread the gospel. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. But his question is very appropriate. Are we requesting the Holy Spirit so that we are more loving, not just more effective? Yes. It's a being instead of a doing. Right. So as we're doing, and we do need the Holy Spirit, we should be inviting him. How are we in the being? If my hand is extended, is it extended as though the hand of Christ? Does the person receiving the hand know in their inner spirit that it's Christ doing the giving? Do you remember the last time somebody gave to you in a really gracious way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We tend to remember that. Yeah. And we go, whoa. I was talking to uh, a group that was about to go on a missions uh, trip. Mm-hmm. And they were going to do the typical, you know, uh, fixing up a, a, a building. It was for a school project, a school, a remote school, and they're going to fix the place up. And I said, listen, if you're going there and you're just going to put up drywall and prime and paint and maybe hang a door, just pay, take the money you raised, <laughs> pay a professional to do it. Yeah. They're going to do a much better job. Get the work but if done. you're going there to be Christ to that community, in this, with the fruit of the spirit being love and the love you're showing, that's why you're going. It's not about painting the walls it's, or are these other uh, projects that we try to assume on ourselves. Yep. That, that struck me, that, that convicted me personally to say that what we're doing in the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just to get something done. It's the love that is supposed to be part of there as a fruit to prove what our, what our tree is, what our plant is. And I would also submit that that team that goes is never the same. Oh, sure. Because they've also needed to love each other and forgive each other for the messiness, the smelliness, the tiredness, the you know anxieties that came along with. And I don't know if you've had this experience and been on a short-term missions like this, but after the trip, if anybody on the team asks something of me, it's an immediate yes. Yeah, yeah. Because we are bound in a way that we were not before. Yeah. And there's a trust that you wouldn't be asking if, you know, it's not just because, and there's a camaraderie and there's a love there yeah. that, that is yes. Yeah. And the, uh, also, he, Andrew Murray talked about how the fruit of the Spirit is love, how God is love. And when you start to think about these things, it ties in the concept of the Trinity, which yeah. most of us just cannot wrap our heads around mm-hmm. unless you're out there listening and that's what you do for a living. You sit around and study these concepts. Bless you. That's not me, but I get it. I mean, I read the Bible. I understand the Trinity is there. Um, But when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love and how that is a reflection of the relationship between the Trinity, it almost makes it easier to understand. I think it does. At least in my view. Because God is love is so simple and so profound that we start to take it at face value Mm. and we use it for stamping on things. It's like putting a a nifty label on stuff. It helps us. So as long as that label's there, that's good. But really getting that God is so filled with immaculate love that the Son, the only begotten, is there as the receiver and holder of that love. And then the Spirit has his own function in it. And you go, 
wow, that is profound enough that I need to give up what I was thinking before. Yeah. He said, uh, he referenced um, in his own way, he referenced the Bible verse that they'll they'll know you are Christians by your love. Right. He says, you wear it like a badge, right? Was that yes, his imagery was that the badge? Was. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ said to his disciples, in effect, I give you a badge and that badge is love, right? What are people seeing today though? Do they see that badge? Do they see us as, um, let alone just within the church, the quarreling, the separation, the anxiety, the stress, the, the, I don't know, the name calling all that stuff. Honestly, I distance myself from that as much as I can because I I like to sleep at night. I don't want to sit there thinking about all the division that's out there. What's the solution? The only solution I know of biblically comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, back to my first point, not to do stuff only or get something done in the community or fix the local politics that you're frustrated by. Or have a certain opinion. Right. Because that's big. You need to have an opinion. Right. Right. But it's that the power of the Holy Spirit just allows us to even be capable of loving the unlovable, of loving someone that we don't like, that we don't share an opinion with, yes. or that we don't agree with. Yes. The fruit of the Spirit as love is just sorely needed today. Yeah. And even though he gave this sermon, I don't know, a hundred years ago, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's something we should all be desperately praying for. It is outside of our capability. Therefore, we must, we must do it in the Spirit. This has been History's Greatest Sermons, an unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more unshackled content, you can download our app. Get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of History's Greatest Sermons.